What is up, Hockey IQ listeners? I'm here to chat about our newest sponsor, Sensorina. Your brain is one of the most important parts of your body. Why not invest in a tool that allows you to train it? With Sensorina, athletes can gain a competitive edge using VR training. Players are able to go through a scenario thousands of times without having to step foot on the ice. No more waiting around for puck touches or perfect scenarios. Sensorina can enhance reaction time, decision-making, and multitasking abilities, making you the next MVP. I mean, if the LA Kings are using it, it's got to be good. With our promo code HockeyIQ, you receive $50 off an annual plan purchase. Head on over to Sensorina.com to check it all out. On this episode of the Hockey IQ podcast, we bring on Byron Bader. He is the architect and founder behind HockeyProspecting.com. He takes 30 years plus of historical data and looks at trends uh, to look at the current and past draft classes for the NHL. So it's really fascinating to see the comparison tools, uh, players, goalies, and you can check out teams and so much more. It's, it's fascinating to, to take a look at this and see what the trends are. And um, we dive into a lot here, talking equivalency points uh, for leagues compared to the NHL, uh, how he came up with his model, the important things within that model, uh, you know, where, where are teams missing on players, where are they hitting on players? Um, you know, what, what looks good? You know, what does a star shape up to be? You know, where are they coming from? It's, it's not like stars come out of nowhere. So there's certain things you can look for that increase, that increase your chances of, of finding those. Um, and then same thing with the miss, like there's certain patterns that show up more often than not when you're missing. So fascinating conversation um, around hockey prospects, uh, looking at models, using the data to figure out and how it actually fits, you know, there's this analytics versus eye test that you hear about and, uh, most people understand that it's kind of a piece. So we, we dive into all this and it's just a great conversation. So let's get into it. Uh, excited to share this one. On the Hockey IQ podcast today, we bring on Byron Bader of Hockey Prospectings. Really excited to have you on. Uh, how's Calgary these days? Yeah, it's not too bad. It was uh, it was kind of smoky for a bit with all the Okanagan, Okanagan fires there for a few weeks, but now it's it's nice and blue skies and not too hot of weather. It was roasting hot for a bit there, but now it's kind of a nice a nice medium hot and and yeah, just enjoying the last part of summer here. Well, do you uh, do you get into a do a hockey rink very often? It sounds like uh, maybe you're just into the data, not so much I, into. Uh... I do play a little bit. Um, I'm terrible. So I never played growing up. I, I skated and stuff with my dad and my sister and stuff. But I never played rec hockey or anything. I played basketball when I was a kid. And then I started playing when I was an adult. So I play like Div, I don't know what it is, Div 8, Div 9, Beer League type thing. But I haven't played in over a year. And now I have, I have three little boys. So they're kind of going, well, two of them are going into hockey now. Um, so most of my time at the rink now is, is kind of coaching them and going to their hockey practices and games and stuff. So not a whole lot myself anymore, but still, still a lot of time in the rink with, with the little guys. So, so what is a famous hockey? I mean, you're, you're in a prospect, so I'm assuming you're being able to grow them pretty easily here. You know, what, what should we be focusing on when we're out there coaching the little ones? 
<laughs> I'm not, I'm not much of a coach. Like I'm, I'm, I'm kind of just doing the, you know, the first couple years with sort of each boy. And then once they kind of get two or three years in, then they'll basically be like better skaters than me. So I don't think you want any, any, you know, hard and fast coaching tips from me because um, that's just going to set your kid up for, for disaster probably. So no coaching tips, unfortunately, from, from my side. No worries. The Hockey IQ podcast has got you covered. Uh, gentleman right before you, Adam, uh, he, he coaches his little ones and he's got a bunch of actionable advice and how to go about it. And then uh, we had John Luke DeMeyer who was on earlier and he took a youth program and made it like an American Development Model Association. So we, we got you covered. No worries. Oh, awesome. Yeah, that sounds great. That sounds much better than what I can offer. So uh, anyways, let's let's dive into it. So you're known for a uh, hockey prospecting. So you've got a few tools. Um, but before we even dive into those tools, maybe a bit of background on, on how this all came to be. Um, yeah. So I'm like, you know, I'm kind of an analytics data science professional. It's, that's, that's what I do, you know, nine to five type thing as well. And I've always, you know, that's always kind of been my career. So, you know, doing the stats side always kind of came naturally for me. And I was, I was at flames nation, probably about five or six years ago now, you know, writing different analytical articles and stuff about the flames. And then the big, the big reason why it kind of popped up is I was kind of looking for something like this, like some, you know, tracking, you know, a player's production through these different feeder leagues before they get to the NHL and looking for, you know, what is like a future superstar look like, or what is a guy who just makes the NHL look like, like, do they have a certain pattern? Are they hitting certain certain, um, you know, thresholds or equivalency thresholds, you know, in, in these different feeder leagues. And I couldn't find anything out there. I mean, there was, there was some great early equivalency work from like Gabe Desjardins and, and Rob Bowman and that type of thing, but there wasn't anything that kind of, you know, looks at when they're hitting a certain level and, you know, what age they are and what that means and how that kind of translates to, you know, them becoming a superstar down the road. And actually all kind of started with, uh, mostly with Johnny Gaudreau, because I was, you know, you're watching his progression through Boston College, um, and he's making these massive jumps, like, year over year. You know, he goes from a point-per-game guy to college, and then a point-and-a-half, and then he's a two-point-per-game player, kind of right before he's making the NHL. And so, you know, being from Calgary and being a Flames fan, everybody was pretty excited about him, and, and they thought, yeah, this guy's going to be, like, a superstar for the Flames. And I thought so, too, but, you know, you, you kind you know, my my natural inclination is I kind of wanted to be more sure about it. So I started to research, you know, is this what like a superstar looks like before he hits the NHL? Like he hits this like he had an equivalency in like the 60s or something. So I started to research, you know, how common is that? How often does a player hit an equivalency in the 60s? And then, you know, I started looking at it and it, it, it wasn't that common. Um, so then I thought maybe I was on to something. So then I kind of, you know, I, I started to look at you know, last 30 years looking at hall of famers and stuff and looking at what they look like. And they all kind of look similar. They started to hit these, these really high numbers, these really high equivalencies, you know, when they're really young. And then, so then I started to look at, okay, well, what do first rounders from the, the last 10 years look like? And I, you know, you could kind of see similar trends popping through. So then, you know, I got to a point where I just wanted to see everything. Like I wanted to see the whole data set for basically the last 30 years. So I just kind of you know, started grabbing it all and, and putting it, um, you know, together. And then, yeah, that's, that's kind of how the, the model was built and how it all started. So it just starts with a, a simple little idea that, that just sort of explodes into something and, until it ends up what it is now. So 
So how do you even get data for the last 30 years? I feel like even just starting with that would be a project in itself. Yeah, I mean, it starts with, um, you know, just manually kind of going back. And, you know, the big thing is, is, is trying to figure it out in your mind what the data should look like and how it should kind of be inputted. So then you can, you know, build these models off it. Like that's the biggest part about building these models is, is getting the data in the right format so that you can use it. So that took some bit. So, you know, I decided to kind of follow the player for five years and then I input the data in a very specific way to look at everybody on this sort of same level playing field. So, you know, they, they're all followed from the same five years. And then, you know, if a player is drafted as an overager, they kind of have that same starting point and then just organizing the data that way. And yeah, so it starts with just looking at, you know, some random stats and then, you know, grabbing 50, hundred players and kind of looking at it and then, you know, um, roughly analyzing the data. And then you kind of go back and you start to, you know, grab more data. And then you start, you know, looking at different ways that you can scrape little bits of data just to pull it in faster and that type of thing. So yeah, it starts as kind of a slow process and just to kind of test it out and see if you have something. And, you know, after you get 50 or hundred players kind of in the system and you kind of say, yeah, it looks like there's something here, then, you know, you just build it out. So, it, you know, I think I started off basically kind of grabbing 10 years, like going back to 2010. And then I thought that's not enough. So then I went back to 2000 and then I thought, okay, well, I'll just go back to 1990. And then after that, I was like, well, after that, the, the data gets a little bit dicey. It's a whole different kind of game from like, you know, the 60s, 70s, 80s. So I kind of stopped there, but yeah, it starts, it starts slow. And then you kind of work backwards and, and get to a point that you're comfortable with. So. Quite, quite the project. Um, curious. So through this, uh, you talked about equivalency. So I'm assuming that's uh, point equivalencies per league. You know, one NHL point is not the same as one KHL point, which is not the same as one OHL point. Uh, so curious on, if I'm thinking about that correctly. And then secondly, uh, what, obviously the NHL is the best league in the world, but maybe, you know, what are leagues two through five and maybe some surprisingly good leagues? Yeah. So yeah, exactly that. Like um, it's basically looking at the conversion of, you know, a point in said feeder league. So the OHL or the NCAA or the Euro leagues, like you mentioned, and it's essentially looking at players who played in one league one year before, and then they make the jump to the NHL. And it's essentially the average of what that production was in say the OHL and then making the jump to the NHL the next year and what they produced. And that's how you kind of come up with these equivalencies. So for like the OHL, um, a point in the OHL is worth roughly like a third of a point in the NHL. Whereas if you look at something like the SHL, a point in the SHL is worth like, you know, four fifths of a point in the NHL. So it's actually pretty close league. So if you're looking at, you know, the strongest leagues, like the NHL is obviously the best. And then the KHL is really, really similar to the NHL, like the equivalency is, you know, almost right on par, especially the way I look at, at it with the model, because I'm looking at essentially, you know, really young prospects as I sort of limit the, the age cutoff. So I'm not looking at like 35 year olds that are jumping over to the NHL type thing. And when you look at it that way, like it's, it's pretty on par with the NHL. And then the next one is the, the Swedish league. So the SHL. Um, and then from there, probably looking at some of the lesser known um, Euro leagues, like the Czech league and the Slovak league are pretty up there. And then after that, you're probably getting down to, 
the Liga and then the AHL, those are pretty similar in terms of their equivalencies are roughly around like just over um, 0.5. So like a, a point in the, in the Liga League is worth like half a point in the NHL type thing. So those are probably the, uh, yeah, the most kind of comparable ones or the, the, the best leagues outside of the NHL. Any that uh, you, you really follow or, or think that people should pay more attention to? Well, some of those Euro leagues, like, you know, I kind of talked about this when I was talking about the draft because some of those Euro leagues, like there's very few players that come from them. But when you look at, you know, the sample of players that come from it and, you know, them hitting these high equivalencies, you know, they tend to have good results. Like the Slovak league is not a league that a lot of people come from, but the ones that have hit the really high marks are like Marion Gabrick, Marion Hosa, who both worked out very well. And now Brant Clark, who jumped over there this year and put up pretty good numbers in a small sample, but people kind of don't really realize how good that league is. I mean, it's, it's not as good as the Swedish league. It's not as good as the KHL, but it's, it's not that far behind. Um, so I always like those little kind of funny leagues that pop up every few years, but there's not a lot of players that come from them, but you know, the sample of players that you do have coming from them that are hitting these sort of notable levels, you know, they become really substantial NHLers. So the Czech league, the Slovak league, you know, the Swiss league, um, that was the one that Austin Matthews was playing in his draft year. And you look at him, he was, you know, he, he produced massively in that league and had a huge equivalency in it, but nobody really comes from that league in their draft year. So it's kind of, yeah, those, those three leagues specifically, like, there's not a lot of history to them, but when you see players hitting notable numbers, you know, and it might only happen once a decade type thing, then, then you should certainly take note of those. Yeah. And you've been, you've been doing this for a few years now, right? When, when did you uh, start this, this whole project? Yeah. So I did, the, the main foundation probably started about four or five years ago and then kind of starting to, you know, uh, consult with teams a little bit and then, you know, officially starting hockey prospecting. Hockey prospecting was just launched in January of 2020. And then I was kind of, you know, yeah, dabbling away and, and working a little bit with teams and stuff before that. So kind of three years, like officially is sort of, you know, a business call it. Um, but basically about five years kind of building out the model and, you know, basically talking to myself on Twitter about it for a few years before, you know, getting to the point that it's that it's at now where where it has, you know, a, a decent following and, and lots of members signed up on the site and, and that type of thing. So, yeah, about five years. Well, so the public st- stuff is relatively new, but you said you're doing some consulting. Um, is that with NHL clubs? What was that looking like? Yeah, it was it was, you know, so far it's been like some some small kind of uh, draft consulting and it's it's a lot of the stuff that's that's in the public um, but kind of providing more data providing more um, of, of just sort of your kind of you know intangible knowledge of everything that's happening and, and looking at all the players in sort of an aggregate and you know kind of just talking about more more trends that you're kind of seeing and stuff but a lot of it is is you know the stuff that we've kind of seen in the public, it's just providing in a different way, providing bigger packets of data and that type of stuff. So, so is it still based off of points, kind of how you have it now, or are you going to micro data? I'm curious of, of where that more is looking. No, at. it's, it's way too much. No, it's it's the same stuff. Like it's it's working off the same, 
you know, models that I've built out in the same patterns based on production. It's just, it's, it's basically providing more context around it. Cause I mean, the public stuff, you can go in, you can see any player that you want. There's over 6,000 players in there. I mean, probably close to 7,000 with the goalie model as well. But I mean, the way it's trying, like you, you look up, you know, one by one, or you can look up, you know, a draft at a time. It's, it's about providing context of like, okay, here's, absolutely everybody that kind of looks like this specific player you know they'll ask they'll ask about very specific players and they just you know you're kind of digging through the data looking for stuff that um you know you haven't even really thought of before they're looking for you know different trends and stuff but it's it's all very similar stuff it's just basically providing more of a a consultation and, and more data associated with it you led me right into where I wanted to go next with this, which is trends. So you've been doing this for a few years. You've seen the data. You know, what, what are some trends that, that you've seen and noticed and picked up on? Well, I mean, the biggest thing is, is teams seem to miss, you know, even now they miss on, on, you know, what most superstars look like, especially at the draft. I mean, they look a certain way. There's some guys that might, sneak through the cracks and, and kind of beat out the percentages. But when you look at it, most of them are, you know, they have a high probability of turning into a star and then they turn into a star. Right. So, you know, looking back 10 years ago, you know, 2011, you have Nikita Kucherov goes at the back end of the second round in the model. He has the highest likelihood of becoming a star based on what he was doing in the MHL, based on his age, based on, you know, his pre-draft year production. And yet he falls all the way down, but you know, and then you look at 2016 and Alex Dabrinkat, you know, he doesn't have the highest star probability because Austin Matthews was there that year, but he's right up there. He's probably in the top five. He drops into the second round. So they, you know, and it's very obvious kind of how he looks and, and most of the guys that look like this turn into stars. And every year you see them, you know, miss a little bit, like even in 2020, like Marco Rossi looks like, you know, he should go top five, but you know, he's five, nine. So then, he doesn't slip that far, but he slips down to number nine, right? Whereas, you know, give that guy a couple inches and he probably goes in the top five. So there's little things like that, that I noticed where, um, the patterns for, for, you know, those superstar guys are very, very consistent. They've existed for, you know, at least the past 30 years, the game has kind of changed around them, but those patterns always exist. And you, you know, you, more often than not, you always hit with those type of guys, but, you know, teams don't fully realize that. I think they're getting better at it, um, especially as, you know, tools like this exist and, and, and different tools like it, they're getting better, but they're still missing on those, those very obvious superstar guys. And they think that they can, you know, take their guy that they drafted and they can turn him into a superstar. But a lot of the time, that's not the case. Like they're, they're, you know, they're showing hints that they are a superstar in their draft year, but these guys are dropping and you're, you're taking kind of these, you know, call it lesser options or less, less chance of really hitting big. Um, Cause it's, it's thought of as more of a safe option or, or that type of thing, but then those players don't have nearly the upside or, or the chance that they're going to turn into that star that every team should be looking for, for sure. So um, that's one trend I've noticed. Another trend is from the opposite side is, you know, there's a certain type of player, I call it like an older player with, you know, a slightly above average equivalency going into his draft year. And if you look at these players, they basically never turn into stars, like almost ever, like it's once every four or five years that this type of 
specific player will turn into a star. Yet these guys are drafted, you know, not often in the top 10, but certainly from, you know, 10 to 31 and a lot taken in the second round. And they take these guys ahead of, you know, other guys that have more potential and they tend to be, you know, they tend to be older. So they're showing more mature at the time of the draft, but obviously they are because they're, you know, they can be six months, eight months, almost a year older than some of these other guys. So obviously they're more mature, but then once that playing field kind of levels out, right. When a player is around 18 or 19, these younger players go shooting past them. And these other players, I mean, a lot of them make the NHL and, you know, it's kind of like a, you know, a middle rotation type guy, but none of them really turn into these big superstars that you're looking for, but yet every year they're, they're, they're drafted. So those are a couple of trends that I've noticed that, you know, they've existed for years and years and, and teams still, you know, they still kind of react in that same mindset and still go for those same types of players. So um, yeah, those are some of the bigger ones that I've noticed. So, so what are, the patterns of a star. Cause I've, I've seen your model um, multiple times where it showed a guy with a high probability of getting to the NHL with a low percentage of star. And then you've got some guys that are high potential star, but lower on NHL probability. You know, what are the profiles between those two that show up as making it a star versus making it in the NHL? Uh, obviously some of them will overlap with the, especially the can't miss guys, but some of the guys maybe have like high ceilings or, you know, how does, how does your model show that? Yeah. So, I mean, the basic surefire signal for, you know, you might be looking at a star is they have really, really good production in their draft year. So if you, you know, you normalize everything, you normalize these, these hundreds of leagues and it kind of shoots out one number. Right. Um, and these guys, they tend to have really high numbers in their draft year. I mean, that's, that's kind of obvious. So they'll have like an equivalency, like over, over 30, over 40 type thing. But then the other thing you want to look for is what did they look like in their pre-draft year? So in their pre-draft year, were they also like basically dominating, you know, relative to their age group, or did they kind of come out of nowhere? If they were, that's a good sign that, that this guy is going to be a superstar. You know, if they're not, especially if it's an older player, that's not a, a red flag, but it, you know, um, it's not as strong of a kind of correlation to them becoming a superstar as if they were really dominating, you know, back when they were 16, 17 type thing. So if you have that and, you know, the player is younger, so they have really good profile in the pre-draft year and in the draft year, and they're, you know, born in the summer type thing, like that's, that's kind of your, your heavy ticket. You know, you can just see these guys either making the NHL right away, either they already look terrific or they kind of look like a 50, 50 shot of becoming a star, which is still really high at the draft because only about, you know, 4% of all players ever drafted turn into stars. Right. So you can see them at the draft and they have this really high potential. And then, you know, basically you're just waiting for them to go off to their feeder league college or whatever it might be for their D plus one season and then pop again and hit another, another threshold call it then you know you kind of know those guys are are basically a shoe in to be a star now their their star potential shoots up to to 80 90 type thing so you can kind of see them coming so that's that's kind of the triple threat if they have really good numbers in their draft year really good numbers in their pre-draft year like well above their peers and they're really young that's kind of the the big signal that you could be sitting on a superstar so, so your star tool is really taking into effect 
the year prior to the draft as compared to the draft years more about making the NHL? Uh, no, the, the draft year is really important for taking into account the star model as well. But yes, the, you know, the NHL model is a different model. And I mean, obviously more, more of these guys make the NHL. So it's just, it's, it's working off the same data points, but they have different uh, significant points because, you know, 25% or 26% of all players drafted make the NHL, whereas only about 4% turn into stars. So it's, it's basically taking that same data and then you, you know, you look at it one way as I want to predict a star. And then you look at it another way. I just want to predict that this guy's going to play 200 games in the NHL. And that's why you kind of get those different percentages. You know, it's, you get the higher percentages for the NHL because, you know, more people do it. And it's, it's, you can hit, you can, you can have different significant points for that. You can hit lower thresholds and be likely to make the NHL. But, you know, if you're not hitting those really high thresholds or you're not, you know, of a certain age, then your, your star profile, um, you know, could be almost nothing. So points are obviously a great indicator, but beyond that, is there something that you key in on as good predictor or one of those things that you weight more heavily? Um, no, I mean, like the whole, the whole concept of the model is basically looking at like these, these production thresholds mixed in with their age. The age is very, very important. Like if you're looking at, you know, a guy born in the summer versus one of those guys born in like October, November of the previous year, like that's a big, big difference. Like six months can be huge. So that's kind of the biggest thing. And then, you know, there's different, there's different stuff that I have in there. There's kind of different little flags that I have in there for, you know, hitting a certain notable mark in a Euro league versus hitting that same sort of equivalency in, you know, the OHL. I noticed, you know, a little point of significance there. So there's stuff like that, that I'm kind of looking at, but it's mostly built around this, this sort of production threshold mixed in with, you know, these very specific age groupings. And that's, you know, the, the majority of, of, of how I came up with the model and, and the significance behind it. All right. That, that makes a lot more sense. Yeah, I just want to clarify that. It's like confusion. So, so you're saying that the, the Euro leagues um, are a good place to develop. So maybe some of those North American kids potentially should uh, head over there because they're going to be facing a level of competition that's a little bit harder. And if they show well or develop well within some of those programs, which are a lot of them are excellent, uh, really builds well for their, their future NHL. Am I thinking about this correctly? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And like, you know, when you, yeah, like they, when you're in those pro leagues sort of developing, you kind of come in more polished and sort of ready to, to make an impact in the NHL is what you're kind of noticing. And, you know, especially, um, from the goalie side. So I, I, I've just recently made a, a goalie tool as well. And so that especially is true for goalies because, you know, goalies in North America kind of get screwed because what I've noticed in my research is um, often for a goalie to make the NHL, they need to start facing like men competition early on in their, in their development. So like by the time they're 19, 20, 21, they need to be facing shots and competition from men. So in Europe, a goalie can bounce around wherever they want. Like a team can bring a goalie up from the MHL straight to the KHL, send them to the VHL. Like they kind of, kind of bounce around wherever. Same thing with the Swedish leagues and the Finnish leagues. Um, so you'll see these guys, you know, up in the, the top tier pro league a lot earlier. Whereas in North America, you know, the goalie gets drafted unless they're elite elite and make the NHL right away, which basically never happens. 
they either have to go back to the CHL and face the same teenage competition that they've always faced, or they have to go, you know, back to the USHL or they go to college, which is a little bit better than, you know, the junior leagues in Canada, but it's still nothing close to those Euro leagues. It's nothing close to the NHL. And then, you know, and then they go through the AHL and the AHL is a pretty good league, but by the time they get there, they're often, you know, in their early twenties at this point. So they're kind of behind the curve where is if, some of these goalies could, especially the really elite ones, could go over to Europe, you know, maybe after they're drafted out of the, the WHL or the OHL, they're allowed to go off to some men's league in Europe that, that wants them. I think that would be great because then you could see them developing on this whole different trajectory. Because when you look at it, you know, a lot of these goalies from North America, they, they never make it and they never, you know, get out of this, this, you know, realm where they're basically facing teenage competition until it's much too late. And then they're kind of behind a lot of these Euro goalies. So I think for certainly for goalies, that would be huge if they could, you know, come up with an agreement where they could go over to Europe a little bit more because you never see that. And I think that would, that would help their development for sure. Awesome. That's very interesting to think about it. The goalies and a little bit of tidbit right there. Um, I'm curious and getting back to the, the, the drafting here itself, you know, like each, each draft pick is kind of like a lottery ticket, right? Like you're hoping this percentage that this player turns into X, Y, Z. I'm assuming you're a big fan of, of drafting down and, and then kind of with that, I mean, are there some GMs and teams that seem to do well in hitting on those lottery tickets? Um, and from what I understand and from what I've read, kind of goes in some cycles you might have five years that are awesome and then five years that are kind of barren is there anyone who's kind of shown themselves to, to be above average uh, obviously it's pretty hard to miss on top five picks so they yeah. have done it but uh i feel like if guys are drafting well deeper into the draft it uh, shows a, a very big aptitude for evaluating talent yeah i mean when you look at it and like, this is kind of one of the tools that's on hockey prospecting as well is, is this tool to go back 30 years and you can kind of look at, you know, each team's sort of success over 30 years, you know, how many NHLers did they draft? How many stars did they draft? How many, what was their NHL or success rate? Like how many picks did they actually have? And, you know, all this type of stuff. You can, you can see that through one of the tools. And like you mentioned, like, you know, very few teams, you know, I'd say, you know, over 20, 30 year period, I've had that kind of consistent success where it's like, oh yeah, this team is really good at that. Like you'll notice it for, like you said, like three to five years. It's like, oh, this team was doing really well at just drafting in general or hitting outside of the first round. But then, you know, you have management changes and you have, you know, um, just different philosophies that come in and they don't, you know, I don't, well, at least not up until maybe recently, but a lot of teams, they don't track it in this sort of way. Like each draft is kind of different and then they're just on to the next one. So they're not focused on, oh, how did we do, you know, going back 10 years, it's just kind of, no, let's just drive forward and what are we going to do this time? So when you look at it, like, there's no real trends that come out where it's like, oh, this team's been like absolutely amazing for the last 20 years of drafting. It's like, they were good for five years but then they tanked and then this team was good for five years, but then they changed something and that all went awry or, you know, that's, that's kind of what comes out of it. And, you know, you look right now, you know, the teams that seem to be figuring out and seem to be on to something here and, and hopefully they kind of carry on with it. 
you know, you have the Kings, they have the best prospect system in the NHL. They've been doing it for, you know, probably three or four years. They have Rob Volman. He's one of their analytics guys over there. And he's kind of like one of the pioneers of this stuff. So he's very into this stuff. He's on to some similar ideas to, to what I'm kind of presenting. So they've been very good at it for the last few years. Um, the wild seem like they're, you know, starting to, to figure that out as well. The Maple Leafs, I think they have like an internal system that's kind of similar to this as well. Um, and, you know, they seem to, when you look at how they draft and, you know, um, who they're taking compared to, you know, their draft slots. So like their makeup of picks that they have, their, their, their high first rounders and their second rounders and third rounds, all that type of stuff. Are they kind of drafting above that, like drafting above the average based on sort of the percentages that come out at hockey prospecting? So those three teams for sure seem to be kind of picking up on it. You know, Anaheim, they've had a couple of good drafts in a row. They might be hitting as well. But yeah, that, that type of thing where, where a team is great for, you know, a decade or more at drafting, like, you know, certainly above the rest of the league, like that, that doesn't really exist. It's kind of more in, in pockets and then, you know, it goes by the wayside and then, you know, they emerge again in, in another decade um, drafting strong for, for three or four years and then it goes away again. So it's, it's kind of interesting when you, when you go back and look at it all for sure. Yeah. It's kind of crazy over the, uh, the past 10 years, I, I just sent it to Dan, my partner, you know, Columbus blue jackets were, were like the highest hitters surprisingly of, of NHLers out there. Um, but yeah, I know Anaheim was up there. I'm trying to think surprisingly, uh, Edmonton and Ottawa and Winnipeg. So yeah, a lot Ottawa of teams up in Canada. Success. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Edmonton's a lot of it was, was their high picks, but yeah, like five, 10 years ago, like Ottawa had some, some really good success, especially hitting, you know, outside of top five guys. So, you know, now we'll see if they, they can keep that up. Cause they're kind of going against the grain with a lot of their picks. Like they're picking, you know, a lot of not low probability, but there's higher probability guys on the board when they pick and then they pick kind of the, the lower ones. So I'm, I'm curious if, if, you know, maybe their development is better if they're able to sort of beat the odds there. Um, but yeah, it's, it's all kind of all over the place and, and no real, you know, teams that have figured it out and have just, you know, rode the wave for the last, you know, few decades. It's all kind of, they don't, and I'm not sure if they fully realize what's, what's happening and um, the success rates and that type of thing, but yeah, it seems to be a little bit all over the place for sure. Yeah. Well, I'm curious. You've obviously done great work. You've got a huge following now and uh, continue to just pump out awesome content and interact with people on social media, especially Twitter. Curious, where, where do you see this going? What, what's the future of hockey prospecting? What's the uh, future of Byron? <laughs> the future of Byron? Uh, I'm not really sure. Like I'm, I'm, you know, like it's, I'm kind of just, just feeling it out and, and riding the wave myself. Um, yeah, it kind of started off as, as just a hobby type thing. Didn't have much of a following. And now, like you said, the following is kind of, you know, growing to something pretty substantial. And now, you know, I've, I've set up the website and it has its own kind of subscription base to it. So yeah, I mean, I imagine I'll, I'll, I'll be around, you know, I'll be in the, in the public sphere. I, you know, maybe, maybe like working with a team and that type of thing, but um, you know, who knows, like 
the, the, the public sphere so far, because, you know, you can talk a lot about a lot of stuff and, you know, I can basically build out, you know, whatever people are asking for or whatever I kind of think I can build it out in the public and kind of put it out there and, you know, gain popularity and that type of thing. So yeah, I, I don't really have any, any, any idea of, of where I'm going and, and what's next. I'm, I'm enjoying the ride so far and, and, and love doing it and love interacting with everybody. And um, yeah, just kind of coming across different ideas and, and the different way that people think of it and um, you know, the different questions that people ask. So yeah, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of up for anything. Um, interested to see where it goes, but don't really have any, any concrete plans of, of where, where Byron's going next with it. It's just, uh, just enjoying the ride for right now. Well, that's awesome. Um, and again, I really appreciate you coming on. This was a very enlightening conversation. I didn't realize how, uh, I knew it was important, the age, but I didn't realize how important the age was for, for being younger in your draft year. Um, I believe Eklund was, was one of the younger guys this year. Or was he one of the older? He's one of the older. He's, uh, he's in the previous year, but he has good numbers. The age matters if you kind of have those, you know, middle of the road or slightly above average numbers. If you've, you know, if you've kind of got those, those good numbers, especially in your pre-draft year and in your draft year and you're older, that doesn't really matter. Like, yeah, you're older, but you're kind of showing that you're, you know, you're well above your peers at that point. So, um, yeah, that's kind of the interesting twist with, with the age is age matters, but you know, if you're, if you're great anyways, by the time of the draft, like if you're like stamp coast or you're like Lafreniere, um, you know, these types of older players that show really, really well at the time of the draft, then age doesn't really matter. Cause you're already kind of almost at the top of the mountain, if that makes sense. Um, yeah. As a, as a gentleman who was, uh, Definitely the late developer of late developers physically. I uh, appreciate that. I feel much better about all of my expected uh, points going through the levels now. There you go. Uh, yeah. Awesome. Yeah, I was, I was, I'm the September 1st baby. So if I did have any aptitude for, uh, for, you know, the sport of hockey as a, as a youth, I was never good at any sports, but if I was, and you know, I made it to that level where you're, where you're getting drafted, I would have been, you know, one of the youngest players in the draft. So I just think that's kind of cool. We would have to take you in the first round for sure. Exactly. Yeah. Depth guy. Awesome. Awesome. Well, uh, last, last thing here for us is uh, who's a player from this draft that we, we should track closely and all be a fan of. Well, I mean, there's, there's a few, there's the, the guys in the first round that you really like, like Brant Clark and Dylan Gunther were like the two two ones that I kind of keyed in on, like they have the super high star probability. They look very, you know, almost rare and unique. So look at those guys. I think those guys are kind of the, the most likely stars that are going to emerge from this draft. Um, you know, I really like um, Cole Sillinger. He looks, he looks really good in the model. Uh, Matthew Coronado. Um, Sasha, Sasha Pashajov, he, he looks interesting. Like he has this really high star potential and like 80% of the guys that look like that make the NHL and like half of them turn into stars, which again, like 4% of everybody drafted turns into star. And this guy already has almost a 50% chance, but he's got like that really horrendous skating that you hear about a lot. So I'm, I'm curious if he makes it, you know, he's drafted in the third round, but he looks, he looks very good. And then the other one is Olin Zellweger. Keep an eye on him. 
I think he's uh, I think he's going to be really good. A uh, guy can skate like the wind. I was just talking with him with uh, Jack, as you as you very well know, and uh, we're, we're both high on him. So if he's looking good in the data, look good in the eye test. Uh, yeah, let's let's keep let's all keep an eye on him. He's not a first round pick that you can key in on, but a player that many people are believing in. Yeah, a little small guy that can yeah can fly and can create and. He's super, super young too. Like he's like a couple weeks away from being in next year's draft. So um, yeah, I think, I think he's going to be pretty, pretty good. Actually, you know, I thought of one last question. I think it would be a perfect ender here. Okay. Um, data and eye test, you know, separately are probably not the answer. I'm curious how you see your, your data and your models uh, fitting into the world of uh, talent evaluation. Yeah. So, I mean, I always say that my model is not, you know, there to replace scouting in any form. Like it's kind of, it's very complimentary. So basically, you know, I'm giving you the lens. I'm showing you here's, here's basically like essentially the group of players that you should be looking at that have the much higher potential than the rest of making the NHL because of 30 years of history. So this is kind of where you should be looking, but then, you know, when you're looking at, you know, call it five players in the model that look very similar. That's where I'm not exactly sure who you should pick because I'm not the scout. I'm not the talent evaluator. That's where, you know, you can bring scouts in and say, Hey, out of these five guys or these 20 guys, you know, what do we think? And then they might say, well, this guy, you know, terrible character, terrible locker room guy, uh, this guy, you know, bad skating, whatever it might be, this guy takes shifts off. Oh, but these five guys, I really like these guys. Okay, well, then you focus in on these guys, right? So it's it's not a replacement. It's it's very complementary and, um, you know, can be used as a tool to help scouts. That's, you know, I have a couple um, NHL scouts that are actually members and they, they reach out and they, that's kind of what they say is, is we use your model as sort of a confirmation. You know, it might, it might be, they already like some guys and then they go check out my numbers to make sure that, you know, he's kind of up to snuff and has a good chance of making the NHL or it's a reverse where they look at my numbers first and then they say, Oh, we better go look at this guy again. So yeah, it's a very complimentary piece to scouting and should go hand in hand for sure. Uh, I, I would be more, I, I'd be in both camps. I've, I've used your tools, both of those, you know, to uh, narrow down a, a long list of names. Uh, you know, I don't, I don't have time and I know some other guys have done the same in the scouting world, um, you know, with various private, companies and i think it's, it's a it's a great way to use it as a compliment to either figure out where should i spend some time or hey here's what i'm thinking about this guy you know this is history back up players take many many different journeys but uh, there are some trends that we can look for to increase our odds so yeah uh, give sure. a shout out to Stan, sam hinky awesome well i really appreciate you coming on the podcast here excited to release your episode uh, i think we get into a lot of good details here so thanks again really appreciate uh, you taking the time Yeah, no problem. Thanks for having me on. Well, I hope you enjoyed that episode. I know I did. So before we let you go, though, we'd like to remind you to please like our podcast, subscribe to it, give us a follow uh, and share this with all the hockey people in your life. We really appreciate uh, growing this community, this podcast. Um, Remember, we also have a newsletter, the Hockey IQ newsletter as well really excited to continue to grow this. So please help us grow this further by liking, subscribing, following, and sharing uh, with everyone. So appreciate you all. 
Take care. That concludes this week's episode. Thanks for joining us here at Hockey IQ. If you haven't already, take a quick moment to hit that subscribe button, give us a thumbs up, and drop a review. If you want to be a great teammate, even recommend us to a friend. You can follow us at Hockey's Arsenal on Twitter and Instagram. Check out the website, hockeysarsenal.com, where you can subscribe to the weekly newsletter. You won't regret it. Catch a Buttes here next week for a brand new episode.